0: 35,000 decisions. That's the average number one adult makes a day. Some are minuscule, some are paradigm shifting. How many of those are we making though and we're not even considering the ripple effect they're setting into motion? For those of you that have made that ultimate decision to be a follower of Jesus, how many of those 35,000 are you actually thinking through and considering? Does this move me closer to him or further away? She chooses as a place purpose to help women harness our gift of free will by allowing God to open our eyes and give us the courage to make the choice that leads to obedience to his plan, that one that leads us to the promise of hope and future that God's laid out for each of us. Scripture tells us of a choice that a woman made, one that was so good it would not be taken from her. That, my friend, it sounds like it's too good to be true, but I promise it isn't. If you find yourself in a place where life seems to be obstructing that view and your current state is stuck, meet me here at She Chooses where together we're going to work intentionally to make that good choice, the one that's leading us to choose Jesus over and over again. Our definition of love is so broken and distorted, even the best of us have zero understanding of it. God's definition of love is so vastly different from our own. Our definition is often based on emotion, you know, going no further than emotion. But God's definition is unconditional and goes against everything our culture stands for. What does this have to do with our study of the three Hebrew men and the fiery furnace? Everything, everything. You don't want to miss this episode. So grab your earbuds, a notebook, a cup of coffee, whatever you do when you podcast, go do it because we're getting ready to dive in. Welcome back to another episode of the She Chooses podcast. I'm Jessica Hartzold, and here we are diving into part two of our study, Eyes of Fear and a Faith that Stands. What are we doing in this study? Guys, we are diving into the well-known message of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're standing here thousands of years later, and here we are, we are scratching our heads and wonder, is it outdated? Is it irrelevant? Some say so. God, he he says no. It's totally relevant, absolutely applicable, and vitally necessary. So here we are in this study. We are paralleling it to us. We are sitting here, standing here, whatever you're doing here, applying it to our everyday lives. So picking up where we last left off, today we're talking about names. My name's Jessica. I remember for a grade school class assignment... I asked my parents, how'd you choose my name? Their response, because we liked it. I was absolutely let down. Sorry, mom and dad. I was let down at their response because there was nothing heroic, nothing poetic, nothing other than we like the way it sounds. I remember walking away from that conversation (sighs) thinking, why couldn't my name be Veronica? Only beautiful people carry that name. Give me Scarlett, you know, something refined, elegant, but they probably knew that's just not me. Or Betsy, you know, give me something feisty, something spunky like that. But I got Jessica. Common, ordinary Jessica. The name that literally every other parent to girls born around that same year chose for their own. If you think I'm kidding, there were two other girls in my small town class that had the same name which required me to not only be known as Jessica, but Jessica L., And unless your name has been tagged with the first initial of your last name, you have no idea. You cannot understand the cringe that it sends down your spine. (sighs) But names are important. They are very important. I have four children of my own. In naming them, we did some research, put lots of thought into our selection, but ultimately, we picked the ones we liked the sound of, which seems to be this common thought pattern that many parents today follow suit with. Biblical times, however, there was significance placed on their meaning. You know, knowing this is important as we learn more about that fiery faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Our background reading for today is Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then an herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the coronet, flute, harp, Sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And whoso falleth down, and whoso falleth not down and wor- worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time when all the people heard the sound of the coronet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all the kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the coronet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso faileth not down And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy guides, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the coronet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if ye worship not... Ye shall be cast in the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, Be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, their hats, and other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell down bound in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the most high God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth in the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was an hair of the head singed. Neither was their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them." Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they may not serve nor worship any God except their own God. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language would speak Anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut into pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other god that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Let's pretend for just a moment that we are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Can you imagine what it must have been like to stand before King Nebuchadnezzar, seeing the intensity of his eyes, watching the visage of his face change, feeling the heat from that furnace? Oh my word, the thoughts that must have raced through their minds, they were probably something like, why this? Is there another way? I don't want this. Can you imagine standing where they stood and possessing the ability to declare such an unwavering faith? It is okay if we can't. That's the purpose of this study. It's to reveal to you that, that God is still willing to walk through fire with his people. And not only that, but he's waiting to do it with you. The relevance of their experience and its application to our own lives is empowering when we take time, pouring into intentional study. In it, we find what we initially thought was superhuman ability is totally and completely available strength within the reach of every one of God's people. So what's the importance of a name? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those are Babylonian names that profess Babylonian gods, and Babylonian cultures. These men were Hebrew. Their given names were Hananiah, which meant gracious, Mishael, which meant who is what God is, Azariah, which meant Yah has helped. Three beautiful names pointing to the one true God that they served. Their Babylonian captors, they understood that. And they too Placing so much emphasis on a name and determined to integrate these these wise young men into their culture forced this change in a hope that eventually their life was going to match what their name declared because names are important. When we look and we try to map over what is the modern connection with this, at this point you might be struggling To find what that connection is, is you think to yourself, you know, your name has never been changed. You've never been held in captivity. But my challenge to you is that we do, in fact, experience something similar, although much less obvious. As the enemy of our soul, he attempts to disconnect us from the faith that we profess and shackle us by, by placing us in front of the same gauntlet of fear where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego once stood. His bid is still the same, and his desire is to cause us to forget the God that we serve. His purpose, too, is to integrate us into the same culture of deception in which so many in this world are now dwelling, and he's begging us to forget the name we bear and replace it with the names of our culture. So what sort of names am I talking about? Maybe, maybe you're in a marriage and you're not happy. You know, and there's this other man, he just makes you feel so appreciated. And you begin to entertain thoughts of adultery as the devil, he begins to call you adulteress. Or maybe you're not married yet. But you know that person that you're in a relationship with, he is so special. And you think, undoubtedly, you are going to marry him anyway, so, you know, what's the hurt? And there you sit, entertaining those tempting thoughts, and the enemy begins to call you fornicator. Or maybe you've been working so hard, and you just lost that job, and you have no idea how you're going to make ends meet. And there you sit, thinking of ways to justify your actions. And the enemy, he begins to call you thief. Maybe, perhaps, life has taken a turn for the worse. Everything that can go wrong has gone wrong, and it just isn't stopping. Your ability to construct a future in your mind is gone. And you're sitting there consumed with thoughts as the enemy begins to call you depressed. Or how about this one, the one so many have seemed to justify? Perhaps you're sitting there and you're thinking of how awful your spouse is. How everyone says you just need to leave him. And there you sit with excuses for why your pastor just doesn't understand. As you make yourself feel better for the papers that you are about to serve as the enemy begins to call you divorced. This list, it goes on and on and on. And these names are names of those that are being shackled and taken into captivity. When bound in these places, we're still known by our given names, but we take on a label that is fixated to our chest. One that forms this invisible barrier between us and our Savior. One that attempts to remove the name that we carry, shifting us from seeing the hope in future found in him to a place of acceptance, of bondage and shame and stagnation. The voice that's luring you into these shackles will never tell you you're being led to a place of prison. Instead, he's rather he's recruited legions of others to persuade you to just give in. These voices are so loud. They say everyone else is doing it. They're saying I married the wrong person. I'm entitled to this. They say, even God cannot help me here. But you have to understand the voice of the one telling you these things. He does not love you. He hates you. And he wants nothing more than to hurt the God who created you by shackling you up and attempting to remove the name of the one you profess by giving you a new name. But there is hope. Galatians chapter 3 verse 27 tells us, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 tells us, And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we are baptized in Jesus' name, and when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we are adopted into the family of Christ. We put him on. Our family name is changed to Jesus. At that point, we take on his name, a name that is unlike any other name, a name that is anything but ordinary, and it is packed full of unbelievable ability, one that even a lifetime spent studying only brushes the surface when it comes to its immensity. There is power in the name of Jesus. I'm going to say it again, friends. There is power in the name of Jesus. The Bible declares it, and every force in hell understands it. The enemy of your soul is so well-versed in what God has written. He knows him personally and wants nothing more than for this powerful name to be removed from your life or kept from ever being taken on. These thoughts, they provoke him to come to us through these different persuasions, these different customs as it whispers to us that God's word is no longer relevant. Attempts to water it down, tells us it's outdated, it's too difficult, and causes us to feel alone in its lack of popularity. If you're in a place like this, you're hearing the the enemy whispering in your ear. I want to remind you of the whisper that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego heard when their names were changed. And how they remembered the one true God that they served, the one that they knew personally, spent time building a relationship with, and in doing so built a solid foundation poised to stand when the enemy came at them full throttle. You know what I love about these men so much? They understood the power of the God they served, which is something too many of us have forgotten or never sought to understand. We, ourselves, we have unwittingly bought into the lie of Satan that says you don't need to read the Bible, nor do you need to fast, absolutely, no praying, or put forth any effort into the relationship that we have with our God, begging us just bask in his grace. God's grace is amazing. It is absolutely necessary. But without studying it, though, and gaining understanding, what will, what will we stand on? When all of hell brings us to stand in front of that fiery furnace. To know the ability of the God we serve, we can't sit back lazy and idle. We have to pursue him. We have to seek after him with intention to understand just the slightest bit of this unfathomable ability he has. The Bible tells us we must seek to understand God's freely given love. Why must we seek it? Because our definition of love is so broken and distorted, even the best of us have zero understanding of it. God's definition of love is vastly different from our own. Our definition is often based on emotion and nothing else. God's definition is unconditional and goes against everything our culture stands for. Human love says when times get tough, give up. Someone wrongs you, walk away. God's love. God's love says, even when you despise and reject me, I willingly went to a cross for you. I willingly endured a beating for you. I willingly allowed my beard to be plucked out for you. I willingly allowed you to spin in my face. I willingly allowed you to mock me. I willingly endured pain humiliation in an attempt to lock eyes with you, to catch your gaze and open your mind to see what true love is. True love, never changing. Nothing ever stops at love, not even a fiery furnace or Nebuchadnezzar's most mighty men. To ever obtain the slightest grasp of that type of love We have to seek Him day in and day out, offering our heart of stone to Him, offering to Him every painful experience that has reshaped our definition of love, every awful thing that has happened, that has worked to create this callous, hardening us, leaving us without a perceived ability to receive God's love or believe its existence. To allow him to exchange it for a heart of flesh that is reshaped, molded, transformed to understand and believe he is for us. And if he died for us while we hated him, what will he do for us as his child? What we find with these Hebrew men is they had revelation to God's true love and its ability to carry them through every temptation that stood in their way, which is the same place God wants us, knowing his love is enough. Our God is a God who promises us a hope and future. This promise was given to us in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Look it up, circle it, pray it. Pray it back to God and get it ingrained into your nerve endings to a point where you will proclaim it when trials come your way will say, I may not know what the future, what this hope and future is, but God promised it to me and I am standing on it. Philippians chapter 2 verse 10 says that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus, the one spoken over you when you were washed in waters of baptism. The name you take on when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the name That will one day cause every knee to bow. Even the knee of the one that's tempting you right now. This is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood. And this is what we too have to seek to understand. And it begins with this decision to make as we ask ourselves, are we going to just give in, go with the flow, follow the crowd? Or are we going to pursue the hope and future that is promised to us. Are are we going to seek what Mary sought as she sat at the feet of Jesus, pursuing the good part that Jesus himself would not be taken from her? I encourage you today, we want to make the same decision that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego made. Do not allow the name being whispered into your ear to declare the person you are. No, today, make your choice to choose jesus i want to close this episode out a little bit differently than we usually do and i want to send us off in a prayer and i want to pray together um jesus in in you is all power you are the answer to all of life's questions you are the eternal hope you are the way you are the truth you are the life you see the temptation we face you have provided a way out. I pray you help us to see it. Help us to dig intentionally. When we don't understand, when we don't know what to do, when we don't want to put forth the effort into our relationship with you, help us to remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how their dedication to you is what allowed them to stand strong when their names were changed. Help us to understand the power and your ability to walk us through every fiery place of this life. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. You just listened to an episode of the She Chooses podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, do me a favor, share it. I don't care how you share it. Social media, text, zero preference. Just get it out and encourage someone in their walk with Jesus. I can't wait to talk to you guys again.